0: Hello and welcome to Improving Scottish Football. My name is Kieran, and today I'm joined by Owen Brown, who's a journalist and an expert in youth football. Today on the podcast we are asking, what are the best nations doing in terms of youth development? How are Scotland doing compared to them? And which youth players should we be most excited about? Now I've had some lovely comments regarding episode one, so thank you very much for, for listening uh, and for commenting if you were one of them. Please do continue to like and share and subscribe. This is obviously the second episode, so again, we're, we're trying to get it off the ground. So everything you can do to spread the word, even if it is just by listening, is hugely appreciated. But anyway, enough of me. We've got a great episode for you. Let's jump into it okay everyone i am delighted to welcome to the podcast owen brown owen how are you i'm very well thanks kieran how are you i'm good i'm good i'm even better because it is the the day following scotland beating norway in the last couple of minutes so um so yeah i'm extra good today um i mean there's obviously lots of things that we want to touch on today but i think we should give a little bit of time to just reveling in in that result. What did you what did you think of, of that finish?
1: Oh it's incredible, isn't it? Um I think I read somewhere that that was the first time that Scotland have turned around um a match in the final ten minutes to come from behind since the nineteenth century at a cricket round against uh, England. So you know it's, it's um a pretty rare unique experience to see Scotland do something like that. Um but uh not a total shock to see team spirit and you know resilience like that under Steve Clark. So I'm I'm really happy. It was great, great result.
0: Yeah. Oh my word. Yeah. I did a lot of running and shouting, uh, much to the bemusement of my two year old uh, who couldn't quite understand what her, his dad was doing, but, um, oh man, what, what a finish just reminds us how good it is, um, to be, to be Scottish and, and to, uh, and to follow football, um, because for well, just the highs and lows that it gives you—it's it incredible. You know, it's all worth it for moments like that. When when McLean score, scored that goal, honestly, I couldn't believe it. What and what a goal as well! Like that—that that second goal was beautiful. Yeah, lovely finish. Yep. So you're a bit of an expert on. Um, the kind of the younger ages, um, should we, we say. Do, can you just give us a little bit of a, a background to yourself, just um, tell us uh, a little bit about your kind of connection to football?
1: Yeah, of course, Kieran. So um, I'm Owen Brown. Um, over the last five years, my connection to Scottish football has been as a journalist. I've been editor and podcaster for Pure Football and a writer for outlets including Stats Bomb, Scouted Football and The Athletic. Um, my focus has been pretty broad thinking talking and writing about tactics player analysis statistics recruitment and fan culture over the last couple of years i've developed a bit of an interest in elite level youth football and um initially that was a wide global interest so you'd find me watching like the under 17 african cup of nations for instance but more recently it's narrowed to a focus on scotland and specifically the scotland national team from the under 16 level up to under 21 age group and also top level youth club football either within scotland or involving scottish players Um, I set up The Young Team, which was an online newsletter to analyse Scotland youth national team matches and players. I was co-commentator for a Scotland Under 21 match live stream. I've pitched the BBC about Scotland's 1982 little-known under-18 European Championship victory, which became a documentary through which the squad were reunited 40 years later. And I've also kind of built a network of players, parents of players, people who work at clubs, football agents and journalists um i think many of them kind of view me as a a good source of advice um i think i've been able to build up some knowledge which means i'm I'm pretty happy to share my thoughts with you kieran and and the audience on the topic of improving scottish football in terms of you know the elite youth game
0: brilliant well it would just be great to get a little bit of um uh, context into the kind of what's happening globally you know in terms of elite youth development so can you just um give us a bit of give us a bit of context as to where we are
1: sure kieran uh, i think the context is important because we're not alone of course in thinking about how we can improve as a football nation and specifically how we can improve at elite youth development and again even more specifically how we deal with that sort of period between youth football and senior first team football so there's a, a lot happening around the world and, and what i'd say and shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody listening given we're on a podcast about how we improve things i'm encouraged by innovation um and it's encouraging to me that it seems as though the sfa is attempting to learn from other um innovators i think you need to be cautious around these things when you kind of look globally because it can be difficult to tell what's true innovation and what's a fad and also in terms of youth development it can be problematic i think if you decide that some other nations work it's just something to left and copy wholesale um for a number of reasons i mean firstly you'd be left behind if you just did that because results obviously when you're developing young people take a while to come to fruition um it's a long tail and football changes pretty rapidly but with that being said and and, you know as kind of being aware of that um might be fun just to look through a couple of examples of what's happening in various countries globally so um yes please
0: yeah yeah
1: Let's start not too far away from home, so let's go down to England. Um, Key kind of development there very recently is that a few days ago they changed the criteria um, in England for clubs for signing overseas players. Um, They've eased them, basically. So pre-Brexit and then post-Brexit, there's been several kind of changes, but basically they introduced a points-based system and signings had to qualify for a permit, You know what's called a governing body endorsement or play for clubs. But um, the powers that be there uh, in football have now determined that teams in the Premier League and the Championship will be able to add four players who don't qualify for a GBE to their squads and teams in League One and League Two will be allowed to. Um, However, they'll lose their opportunity to do that in future seasons if they don't give a significant amount of minutes to their English youngsters. So that's a kind of development where it might have an impact in terms of how much English youth gets played Um, it could have an impact on how much um clubs from England will be wanting to buy players from Scotland because they can probably widen their scope again and, and go for um players from other nations who might not have previously qualified for a permit um in addition to that there's been a season-long review of the under 21 competition in England Because of concerns about how effective um their program is in preparing academy players for the senior game so again we're not alone and you're kind of concerns about that there's been a lot of new formats suggested for next season's campaign and beyond um but academy managers are going to choose which one will be put forward to the premier league's agm in june um the Kind of rumors at the moment is that they're going to go for a swiss model um, which is kind of similar to what will be used in the champions league from 2024 2025 which is basically a single league of 25 teams um which removes relegation um and they think or some of them think that development decisions um have uh not been a priority because people have been too focused on promotion and relegation and league position and so on, so they think that might change, as well as that in England. I just wanted to mention that we've seen other kind of innovations or developments, such as uh, some clubs have signed a recently retired uh, coach or senior player to play for their under twenty threes. Um, so to have that player, you know, kind of setting standards within the team and stuff like that. So that that that's England. Um, out, out with England. Um, there's more complexity you know in terms of intentions and and what works um at play i think in belgium um so belgium have a a very kind of influential child development coaching revolution um where they've made things very player focused so lots of small sided games lots of like basically one v one games with a goalkeeper um, and lots of things where they have um multiple sports or activities to improve motor skills generally Um, Lots of game-based situations where they try and encourage players to make decisions for themselves. Um, And that all sounds great. And, you know, obviously there's loads of positives to that. But we need to be careful, I think, when we look at these uh, innovations and think that those will make us successful too because there's lots and lots of factors at play. When you drill into the detail of the successful um, Belgian national team recently, There's other factors apart from the coaching revolution. So they changed their immigration and citizenship rules um, in the 1980s, and that brought a lot more diversity to their team. Um, There were genetic factors, lots of players, in their kind of so-called golden generation happened to have parents who were also professional athletes. Another one I just wanted to mention um, in terms of coaching approach is Uruguay. Um, So Uruguay are obviously an interesting nation, given they've long outperformed what might be expected based on population size in terms of producing talented footballers, and um they won the under 20 World Cup um just a couple of weeks ago, uh, this year's um, version of it. So it's really worthwhile, I think, looking at what a country like that is doing, Um they benefited from a FIFA development programme, which was set up in 2016, which gave them lots of administrative, technical and financial support through FIFA, and they drew up a strategic plan and Oscar Tabarez, their legendary former manager, was involved in the design and implementation of that. One of the standout elements that I quite like is maybe interesting is that every single week in Uruguay from Monday to Wednesday, the top 30 clubs in the country release their best under 15 players to a national team training camp. So the national team has all of those players for two days a week, three days a week, um the whole year um every week what do you think about that do you think that might be a a good one for us oh that sounds exciting
0: i've never heard of anything like that before
1: yeah very difficult i think to get clubs to go for that it must have been incentivized by you know the fifa funding and stuff like that but the republic of korea is another kind of interesting nation to look at so they hosted that tournament in 2017 they got to the final in 2019. There, there wasn't a tournament in 2021 because of COVID, but they got to the semi-final in this year's competition. So they've had lots of success that age. Um, And they, a couple of years ago, signed memorandums of understanding with the Belgian Football Association, with the Croatian Football Association and Bayern Munich Um, to support them with team management and youth development systems. They are heavily invested in grassroots youth football. Um, they've recently started building a new national football center which is being done by the same architectural firm who did the Johan Cruyff Arena in Amsterdam um and is massive 450,000 square meters, Uh, two stadiums, one indoor, one outdoor, multiple pitches, um, sports science. It's going to be integrated with the landscape, but we'll also have tech features, smart tracking built into it and stuff. They, they basically want, you know, to make Korea a global football destination and cultivate that next generation of stars for the country. And um, a, a kind of final country to consider is Croatia. There was a SFA coaching podcast, which had a creation football expert on it who talked about the quality of their coaches being the big factor for him. Um, he said that they're all paid, not volunteers. They all have UEFA licences um, and they have a big focus on training young players to not be automatons, to basically have a tactical understanding and that kind of decision-making um, under pressure ability, um, which is really you know kind of key for them. And they also talked about the importance of um, hooking into a nation's passion for the sport, which I think is something we can... Kind of aspire to here as well
0: yeah you know there's a lot of really exciting ideas going on around the world um you know some of which you've uh, you've listed out there uh, my main concern really just you know from a scottish perspective is are, are the powers that be are they actually actively looking at the likes of uruguay sometimes in scotland it can be a bit old school in in the in the way we operate uh, this is how we've always done it do you get the sense that actually there are people out there trying to actively take ideas and you know and bring them into the scottish fold
1: i think there's definitely good intention to but whether or not there's the resources to really go to the extent of you know drilling into what did uruguay do and you know what could we do um is is hard to say we want to try and find, find kind of meaning and its success of others and you know things that we can borrow um but we, we just need to keep kind of moving keep trying to innovate youth development projects have a long tail um and if we just copy what somebody's doing we'll be 15 years behind and um, what's led to success and, and we might not even know the circumstances and things that actually made it work
0: yeah okay great and so give us a little bit of an overview then about the key factors at play you know within within scotland itself then
1: um It feels to me like there's a lot going on uh, right now. Um, it's a sort of intense moment in terms of youth players and the public consciousness in Scotland. Um, I guess that's from the impact of COVID-19 uh, financially and developmentally for players, the consequences of Brexit, um, the creation of the B-teams by Celtic Rangers and Hearts. Um, there's been media articles about the lack of game time at the top level within Scotland for young Scottish players. Um, and I think the first thing we should maybe do when we talk about the current key factors is just to kind of acknowledge that as much as you and I are kind of saying that there should be more done to improve things, that there have been efforts made to try and improve Scottish football over a long period of time. And there's, you know, some historical context and developments that we should maybe kind of run through. So Henry McLeish, um, politician and and former footballer, put out a review um, into the game in the early 2010s um, calling for large-scale change and improvements and and we've seen kind of as a result of that the introduction of a couple of things so we've had the sfa performance schools and the creation of the Orium center as sort of tangible outcomes over the last decade um, the sfa themselves have also had two five-year plans um so their current one is called the power of football and it covers the years 2021 to 2025 it's, it's well worth having a look at that to see what the kind of strategy around that is. Um, but in terms of the performance schools and and their impact on elite youth development in Scotland um the issue with kind of assessing things is that it takes a long time to tell if efforts like these are successful or not um and also a lot of the feedback that you're going to get on them will be anecdotal i guess or potentially there's um success stories that are kind of applied after the fact so one of the um aspirations of the SFA's um five year plan prior to this one was to have a performance school graduate um play at the Euros for Scotland. And that happened. You know, Billy Gilmore went to performance school. and um, he played at Euros but does that mean therefore that performance schools are good? Um, well, you know, that's, that's a question and we, we can't really know the answer to that for generations. Um, they feel like a good development, broadly speaking to me, um, but it's, you know, just something to consider. But anyway, I, I just mentioned those to say that they are a big factor, I think, in terms of, you know, current Scottish elite youth football development. Um, another factor is Orium. Um, so Orium is the um, centre um, at Edinburgh. Um, it's a, Sports facility basically, it's been a little bit of a troubled development lately. Um, due to the Scotland senior team not wanting to use uh, it as a base. My view is that it's a little bit of a um a, a, a problem that Orium is kind of not being used. Um, perhaps in the way it should be. It was funded in part by the taxpayer, so I think even for that level, you know, the fact that this came out in McLeish's report and there was money invested in it. Um, there maybe needs to be a compromise um, and it should be embraced fully by the youth levels of the Scottish national team. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's just a, a kind of other key factor in that. And a, another kind of thing that I think is a big factor is that MacLeish in his report, he basically wanted the SFA to have more power over the game. And it feels to me, at least in terms of their ability to influence youth development, it's declined even more. And um, I don't think, as far as I know, that the SFA have replaced the performance director role, at least not with a direct like for light role, since Malky Mackay left. Um, and if you look at the SFA's operational board meetings, there's a lack, in my view, of a high level football person who represents the national team interests, let alone the youth side of the national team or youth development. If you look at the one one they've got a couple of board meetings that they have operational ones and but the professional game board is dominated by the spfl and other league interests in my view that's a factor again there needs to be some sort of sfa performance director in those meetings or somebody advocating for how do we improve um the national team the national youth team young players um yeah so those are kind of some factors another big factor something you asked me before um on kieran is how do we retain young players rather than going to England? Um, mm. We're we're going to come on, I think, later on the podcast maybe to some specific changes I'd like Scottish football to consider when it kind of comes to league's development and, and bridging that gap that we talked. But we we should acknowledge um, the kind of talent drain as one of the factors at play. Um, my view, briefly, on that is that you really need to assess all these decisions and choices on an indi- individual basis. Um, You know, the the individual player's choice and and what options they have are are kind of key. Um, But um, based on chats I've had with people at clubs in England over the last year or two, it sometimes saddens me because of a a lack of good knowledge um, amongst them about the specific players that they're targeting uh, in terms of their, their profile, their level and so on. And the view I think um, that a lot of these clubs have of our players as being a cheap gamble, um, particularly at the time when they were forced um, into markets like us because of Brexit. Um, so, g- generally speaking, I'm delighted when you know I see one of our starlets go somewhere where they'll get the best development possible. But I'm a little bit skeptical, um, at times about the view of them and um the the intentions of some of the clubs and and you know the, the people recruiting them, um. But that's that's what my main concern is always for the players. I hope that they're always well advised and go to the right place for them and fulfill mm. their potential. What about you on that? Given it was something you'd asked me before, what was your kind of thoughts on the talent drain and going to?
0: Yeah, well, well, first of all, it's a bit worrying to <laughs> to hear it described as a cheap gamble. um uh, you know like i I I said in um in an earlier episode you know i think it is an an, the system that is in place in england you know the academy um you know structures that they've got and the amount of time that they give especially i guess at at the bigger clubs the amount of time they give to individual players you know to really tailor their development um i think is something that we're unable to match at the moment in scotland um so really i mean what i would love to see is obviously scotland you know and the clubs in scotland just finding a way to somehow get to that same sort of level where we are able to individually tailor um a system you know for 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 each player to to, to really bring them on and you know not just not just as a footballer but also as a person so, yeah, that's kind of where I am, but you know yeah. i'm also I'm also delighted to be seeing you know some of our best talent you know beginning to make breakthroughs in the English Premier League because like it or not, that is you know the best league in the world, and um to see some of our young talent beginning to play pretty regularly is um you know is is great for the for the national side certainly
1: yeah that that's where the complexity and all this lies i think because you you kind of um as a fan of scottish football as a watcher as a you know um you, you kind of want the league to be good you want kind of lots of young players to be staying in scotland and performing and getting chances here but also um i think it's understandable and should be encouraged um for players to go where the best opportunities are for them um so it's a it's a difficult one um and i guess one of the ways in which a couple of the clubs in scotland have thought that they could try and address that gap and, and keep some of those players is a final big factor we should talk about in terms of um the current state of play in scotland which is b teams um yes so...
0: please yes please hot <laughs> hot topic of the day Mm.
1: Um. Even hotter this week, I guess, because there's been significant news that Rangers have stated that they will not be p- participating in the Lowland League this coming season. So their their B team. Um. I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but we assume they're going to go on some sort of tour, play invitational cups, friendlies against other elite teams. Um. So th- that's a kind of re- pretty remarkable development that happened in the wake of this aborted. Um, vote to see if they could set up the conference league at a higher level. Um and I think that that kind of decision and that vote and the kind of public kind of response to it um is um an interesting element to this. I think that the strategy behind the setup of the B teams has been poor um in terms of how um it's caused perception. Um to come of them um you know the perception of them has been very badly damaged i think that fans of other clubs out of the three that have started them feel that it's been a kind of top-down imposed change designed just to benefit the big clubs and also the other difficulty for the clubs themselves is that um i think they're finding probably the agents and players are not satisfied with the level of football um that they're in at in terms of the the lowland league so overall um kind of from all sides uh perception of it has been very damaged um it'll be interesting to see what happens moving forward from this again as it is with pretty much all of this my main concern is for the players um i have to say that personally i think not exactly in the way that these have been set up but generally speaking there can be some benefits to b teams whether we use that word or not, I mean, B team is just a a marketing phrase, right? But whatever we choose to call a team that exists um, to you know bridge that gap between eighteen year old and first team football, um, but there's obviously some benefits to having a system, a, a strategy for you know how you manage your players at that point, um, but with the way it's been done, um, I was initially very concerned that. This was going to just be for the benefit of the clubs. And I don't, and it, it, it kind of mirrors what maybe fans of other clubs have felt that this is just for the benefit of Rangers and Celtic as opposed to the benefit of the wider game in Scotland. But also, more specifically, I felt that the way it was being done was not for the benefit of the Rangers and Celtic players, but for the benefit of the club. I could tell that there were going to be aspirations for them. To get into higher level in the SPFL system at some point and that in order to do that it was probably going to lead to the mismanagement of individual player development and the careers of specific players so I'm talking about players having to spend more time
0: in a B team at that level than they should have to um, I'm just going to interject and just double check, hmm. Owen do you have the solution by any chance to this whole B team situation um, because it, it you know I haven't seen one amazing kind of solution. You know, is is there anything that's that you think could actually work really well?
1: Well, let, let's talk about some specific improvements, right? To consider in Scottish football, um, I think that there's no way I'm going to say I've got the the magic answer, the the kind of silver bullet. I think if NMD says that, let, let's talk generally in youth football, youth development. If NMD says that they have the one answer to everything, I'm incredibly skeptical about that. I think I'm always there for innovation, um, but you need to be careful, Um, You need to rigorously assess the potential side effects of anything because well-intentioned ideas can have unexpected negative consequences. But um, in terms of some things I would like to see Scottish football consider, the first one is um, around player pathways. I I would like to have development as an obligation at clubs. What I mean by that is I would like there to be contractual development plans. So my my feeling, you know, based on conversations with, you know, various people, parents of players, players, you know, clubs um, and so on, is that player development at clubs is very ad hoc. Um, I, I don't think, you know, fans would really even realise quite how on the hoof and improvisational and non-strategic it is at times. Um, it can be impacted by factors out with the player's control, you know, injuries to other players um, can be a benefit. You might get some game time as a result of it, but also that might be uh, a negative because even if you get game time as a result of it, it might kind of take you out of what the plan was. Um, you can be affected by a change of manager. Anyway, the, the point is that these things have a lack of strategy around them and a lack of uh, consequences for the clubs when there isn't a strategy or isn't a kind of pathway or development plan. So I'd like there to be regulation, uh, SFA and SPFL regulation, that as part of a player contract, you need to have a development plan um, with specific steps over specific periods of time. And I'd like there to be penalties. So I'd like there to be potential breach of contract where the player can you know walk um, if things are not met um potentially the loss of a development fee. So you know, one one thing that happens in football in Scotland is that if a player is at your club, for a period of time, if they leave at the end of the contract, you're due a, a fee for developing them. And um, maybe that should go if you've not developed them in the way that the contract states that it should and um, the development fee is, is something that's kind of interesting and needs to be assessed a little bit in my in my view anyway, because it's well intentioned, right? You know, clubs should obviously be compensated in some way for the time that they invest into players, but it makes it difficult because it means that if the player does want to leave at the end of their contract, um, we talked earlier about this talent drain from Scotland. Very, very few player, sorry, very, very few clubs in Scotland can afford to pay a development fee for a player, a young player. You know, even if they wanted to keep them in our game. So that's a lot of things. But anyway, yeah, I would, I would try and have that development as an obligation and I would extend that in, in terms of development plan to you know the, the clubs um having to have an approach to game time um and that would mean for example um having smarter loans so the, the loan market in Scotland is very inefficient in my view um, and a difficult experience for young players. Um, so often young players are sent to clubs that aren't suitable for them, um, whether that's that they don't fit the style of play or whether there's a hierarchy of players already in place um, and they're they're not going to get on the pitch or whether they're just a part-time club and therefore the player's going to be training at their parent club anyway, so they're not getting a real kind of experience of, of being at another club so it's one of the things that i would try and make as a contractual factor um to smarten those things up um so that that's number one in terms of uh yeah. improvement i would consider
0: any thoughts on that kieran do you,
1: you nope. throwing that one out or are we we okay with it as a
0: I, I was just gonna say i love it i absolutely love it yeah development as an obligation and it's crazy to think that we don't have that already in place yeah that you know you can literally. Um, yeah, these are people's lives, you know, absolutely. not just not just yeah. their careers. You know, we have to we really do have to um to do everything we can and, and and put a value on it and absolutely hold clubs to account as well. So um yeah. Absolutely bang up for that. Um Ooh. yeah, number 2, number 2 if you will please Owen.
1: Yeah, next thing I would really like to have is a more innovative premiership generally. Um so I think that um it, <laughs> we need to find a way um, within Scotland to allow managers more time to have more accountability on decision makers at clubs, but to do that in a way that encourages um, more um, out of the box thinking, people doing things a little bit differently. Um, And I I think that could have a really good knock on effect in terms of youth development. Um, As an example, um, in Denmark, um, there were two Fairly traditional powerhouses in FC Copenhagen and Bromby, um, but that's been disrupted over the last decade by Norsi Allen, with their focus on youth and Micheland with their focus on data analytics. Um, it's tough, you know. Obviously, particularly in the Premiership, the disparity between Celtic and Rangers and the rest financially is clear and um, stark. But I think that would be a thing that if we can find a way to um, encourage it, um, it will. One of the ways that we'll see for it is, is in terms of our young players.
0: Hmm. Yep. Absolutely. There's a. Yeah. There's a there's a, there's a definite need for um, some of our clubs to yeah start thinking outside the box and using the likes of Denmark. Yeah. Some of the clubs that you know throughout Scandinavia, to be honest, they they there does seem to be a lot of kind of innovative new thinking going on. So it'd be great to see some of our, um, some of our clubs, just trying something a little bit different because um it can be a bit same old same old at times
1: yeah absolutely um they could have other um specific improvement that i would like us to consider um is around b teams um so i was kind of thinking about this you you could have a quota in terms of trying to force teams to uh, give x amount of minutes to players of a certain age and things like that but Let's just go for a bit of a a B-team restructure. So what I would do is try and have um, more of a strategic approach to introducing B-teams and and make it less of a just Rangers and Celtic or big teams thing. Now, this is really difficult because basically the teams don't have the money for it. We have to find a way for the teams to get more money to be able to do it. But if we can, I would like us to have um, uh, maybe a, a restructure um into and you may have, I don't know, another podcast which looks more extensively at league restructure in Scotland, but something which allows more teams to have B teams. You know, I'm talking like as an example, um, if you look at the under 18 um level in Scotland at the moment, which is Club Academy Scotland, um, you could take a bunch of the teams that are within that. So as an elite level, which has like Aberdeen, Celtic, Dundee United, Hamilton Ackeys, Hearts, Hibbs, Kelly, Motherwell, Queen's Park, Rangers and St. Mirren. You could have those, you could have the ones at the next level, um, and basically come up with let's see 20 teams and you know, create some sort of um system. Considering, of course, the teams within the structure before, which have been very annoyed uh, as to how they've been treated, you know, the ones below the low league and the Highland leagues, um, but some form of re- reconstruction where we incentivize things for as many parties as possible, um, and have a properly set up, um, well thought out system uh, of um, you know, B leagues, uh, B teams, rather t- teams of people who are on the cusp of maybe going to um senior football that that would be a, another kind of aspect that i think could improve things and maybe not call it b teams as well just given the
0: the, <laughs> the 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 marketing of that yeah yeah it does need a bit of a rebrand now doesn't it absolutely um cool okay so those are kind of like three big things that you would you know ideally you know like like to see that you know improvements that we should certainly be be open to considering right
1: yeah, but but, but t- just wanted to say with the last one, it needs to be at a level um, that's appropriate for it, and and also I'd be open to you know the innovative ideas um, that we've maybe seen in England. You know, we talked at the top of the podcast about senior players within them, things like that. You know, all sorts of invo- innovation would be welcome. I'm not saying that would just be done the same way that Rangers, Celtic, and Hearts are doing at the moment, but something in that gap um, could definitely be good.
0: Excellent, um, good. Well, um Owen, I think we're getting towards the end of the podcast. Um, we uh, could, I'm sure, go on for quite a lot longer on all the on all these different topics. But I wanted to finish on just a um, a little bit of uh, positivity, um, specifically regarding kind of you know the youth teams um, in uh you know within the scotland setup because you know things are probably in a better place than the than they've been for a, a long time obviously we're, we're fairly familiar most of us with you know the scotland under 21s but what about like even the the you know the lower ages you know the 16s the 17s you know are you seeing um some really good talent being developed you know what, what's what's the current state of affairs there
1: Sure. um well i guess one standout thing is that um the under 17s went to back to back euros um that's a really good achievement um and um th- those happen yearly um so once every year so quite interestingly um quite a lot of the group that had been at the one this year had played at the one previous so we had quite a young um team at the 2022 euros with i think it was six players um at that and um this year's iteration so that's a real positive um and i would say that um they're trying to play good football um uh they're they're you know being coached to play out from the back they're you know trying to take decisions under pressure and so on so you know that's a, that's a positive for me um i think that we're seeing some players playing at a very high level um so we talked before about people going to you know english academies you've got a clutch of players uh ben doak rory wilson Dear mabud josh adam um all playing for really 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 elite clubs um in england so that, that's a, a positive element for them
0: yeah and you named some some players there um who you know are, are really showing some some great promise um and yeah, I'm I'm also quite excited about it as well. Are, are there any other names you'd like to throw out at us? You know, people that we should be keeping an eye on, um, either you know under twenty ones or or even or even younger than that.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've got loads of favourites, um, but I guess Lennon Miller, um, 2006 born player at Motherwell, central midfielder. Um, I really like him. He made his debut um, in the league uh, for their senior team um, this season. Um, and he was at both um, both of those Euros with the 20, with the under-17s that I mentioned. He's really good. Um, I think that Matthew Anderson um, for Scotland under-21s, I think despite the fact that it's Scotland under-21s, maybe a lot of people apart from Celtic fans won't have seen him. He's a left-back. I remember speaking to um, an analyst at Celtic who went on to Leicester with Brendan Rodgers a while ago. And he pointed out matthew anderson has been one of the best um you know prospects in their academy for some time i think you know we've got a recent tradition of having really good fullbacks. yeah um, i was
0: gonna i was gonna say that's great we've got another left back
1: <laughs> you never have enough good players as far as i'm concerned so bring them all on but anyway he, he played for scotland under 21s um today against norway and that's really pleasing to see because um i, I think he's a really really good player um and yeah, who else Another one that's gone to England that hasn't been mentioned a lot maybe is Charlie MacArthur, who's gone to Newcastle United. He was at Kilmarnock. He's a left-footed centre-back. Um, Very, very good, in my view, in that he kind of blends um, the so-called modern you know passing ability and stuff with a bit of the traditional physical elements. So one that I've got high hopes for.
0: Nice. And then there's also a couple of guys as well who are, playing quite regularly for championship sides you know but are also part of our under 21s setup which is quite unusual i can't remember the last time we would have that because um yeah i mean that that i think just shows the strength in depth that the Scotland men's team have that guys who are playing regular championship football use you know 10 15 years ago they would like be like straight into our our, our men's team but now you know they're they're under twenty one. So I'm spe- spe- specifically thinking about Tommy Conway, who scored today. Um, Hayden Hackney as well. You know, both of those guys seem to be you know really good prospects as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, they're, they're both excellent talents. I think that's um, partly down to Steve Clark and that he's made it a more of a club feel at the national team level, um, in that. You're not going to get caps handed out all over the place these days. It's quite a tight squad, which I think has its benefits. So it's going to take a little bit more um, for these players to break through. But the one thing I would say about that, just in terms of people breaking through to the next level, is a really encouraging thing for me at the moment in terms of the Scottish national team um, youth levels, is that they are skipping players up levels. So Ben Dope, for example, being in the under twenty ones when he's so young. Um Rory Wilson's been at that level too. So there is this kind of um I, I don't know, a, a deliberate um strategy, I think, to escalate people rather than kind of maintaining them um within a level if they think they're of the um you know the 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 level to skip up some age groups, which is is nice to see.
0: Yeah. Okie dokie. Right, final question before I let you go. Um, Something I ask every guest. Um, If you had a magic wand, Owen, and you could change one thing about Scottish football, what would it be? More money. Um, So it's
1: (laughs) it's a a bit of a cop-out answer, I guess, maybe given its lack of specificity, but it's the answer to everything, really, um, in terms of uh improving stuff um so yeah we we need more money um from we could go to you know try and get some funds from these fifa development things that they've set up i mean for example and i appreciate that part of the point of these funds at fifa is to help more developing nations um or perhaps countries that haven't had um support in the past so they, they put a lot of money into Morocco for example um, a few years ago and that's really borne fruit for Morocco as we saw at the World Cup they've had massive change in their infrastructure and facilities but we need to go and get some of that if we can um from FIFA or UEFA or the government needs to tax um certain companies who have a detrimental impact on our health um in order to fund our health Um, but yeah I want more money for the game I want more money invested in youth development
0: Yep love it yep always up for more money um is it just i mean do, do the people do the powers that be just need to apply for that kind of fund how does it actually how does it actually work in 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 practical terms do you know
1: uh in terms of the fifa stuff i guess you need to apply and uh, as i said it's likely to be very low on the list so you're looking at more things like taxation to get that kind of money which is difficult right you know it's not the political will to go to people and say let's give money to football you know people then just think of um you know Erling Holland on 350 grand a week or whatever so mm. it's, a, it's a difficult one to get money for but we, we need to try and get it and and pose it as a a question of national health and community investment and things like that you know and, and build up these grassroots facilities again the, the one to look at for me is the Republic of Ireland um, very recently, like last month, basically, they had a huge um, package of investment announced um, uh, to to improve the infrastructure and facilities, the stadia and so on right across the country. Um, we can yeah. try and do similar.
0: Yeah, that looks really good. And th- I, that is going to bear, f- bear fruit. Um, I mean, the amount of money that they're putting in and, and their aims and ambitions, you're really clearly marked out, which is, um, yeah really impressive from them is that mainly government funding that that's kind of going into that i'm assuming it's not got any fifa development funding
1: i think they got money from fifa and as well okay
0: yeah okay right okay well anyone listening from the powers that be at scotland let's look at what they're doing what ireland is doing and let's do something even better um good all right owen um thank you so much for being on the podcast um like i say we could have gone into a lot more detail on all those things but we will do that again in a future podcast if you're up for coming back at some point of course brilliant okay well until then um thanks again owen and thanks everyone for listening